Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Rich Pasqua, CEO of ARC, a digital transformation company. And we have Matt Sky joining us as well. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, this week what we're doing is uh, taking some of the headlines, some of the major news we've uh, been observing. We're going to give some of our takes on that, do a little bit of our own unpacking of maybe the headlines beneath the headlines. And there's no shortage of uh, topics to talk about. Uh, let's start with this one. Uh, Vitalik Buterin's recent comments about Facebook and or Meta, I guess now Meta. And he was saying it's far too early to know what people actually want. So anything Facebook creates now will misfire. That, that does not sound like the kind of thing Mark Zuckerberg would want to hear, given the immense investments they're making in Web3. Uh, what's your take with that, Rich? Do, are they jumping the gun on investments? They're putting billions into it. They're revising their entire business model. This is a pretty significant shift for the company. Yeah, it, it is an interesting uh, topic here. And I think what we need to do is really find out what Vitalik means by misfire, right? Right. Um, and there's a lot of people that may not share Mark Zuckerberg's vision of the metaverse. But personally, um, I, I applaud him for for doing this and pushing, you know, Web3, metaverse blockchain technology forward um it's a wide open space with massive financial possibilities and potential um but is it too early to to kind of dump massive amounts of money and resources towards it and that's really the uber question here right so sometimes being too early is the same as being wrong right and if we look at big tech companies um for example, Apple, they will wait until innovation and technology catches up and marketplaces are being starting to be developed and they see potential in a space. And that's when they push forward. And that's when they create their software and hardware products to enter that particular market, no matter what it is. And um, I guess, yeah, I guess I, I was just going to say the question is, do you think in this case, is Facebook, ironically, the MySpace this time? Are they <laughs> jumping the gun too soon and then others will come in and do a better job? Or are they the Amazon where these investments, even though no one else sees them as valid at this point, they're truly uh, looking down the pipeline and seeing what's next and making those heavy investments? Well, I, I, I think if you – there's many, many, many facets to this. But if we just unpack a few um, – it's it all comes down to business decisions, right? Uh, Facebook's you know um, membership and onboarding is kind of waning. Um, I think Mark himself understands that uh, Facebook, the plat platform or Meta now, but Facebook for argument's sake, is is waning a bit, um, and he needs to think to the future, and he is, and he's hitting the gas, but. But how much money do you put into an environment 
that is radically changing by the second and is actually being built right now. Um, you know, are they, you know, the MySpace or could they become the MySpace uh, of the metaverse? Who knows? Um, frankly, you know, I think it's uh, because the metaverse is kind of predicated on and built around like gaming platforms. Mark has a, and, and Facebook has a, 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 an uphill climb to, to build environments and gaming environments that will support the, met, you know, the metaverse or what we think of the, the metaverse. Personally, I think the metaverse is not one platform. I don't think one person or uh, organization will own the metaverse. And I think the name meta uh, put people up in arms because, um, you know, uh, people might think that, he, you know, Mark is trying to co-opt the, uh, the dialogue or the, the narrative and the name. Um, is it a smart name? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with the name, but, um, you know, from there, uh, I think truly the metaverse, you know, if you understand how it's going to be put together, it's less about, Hey, we have this giant playground to, to wander around in and play and interact and, and literally have virtual offices and whatever you want to do. Um, and it's more about, certainly you need to have those, but it's more about the connective tissue between platforms, right? So when you have mm -hmm. your digital wallets or whatever you have in web three, even now you have digital assets, you have game skins and characters and items you've purchased in game. Um, and that's truly the moneymaker, uh, for a lot of these platforms, but now, you know, to me, the metaverse is being able to wander between Xbox and desktop gaming platforms and, and PlayStation and, and, and Meta's world, uh, and anything that Microsoft puts out, um, that to me, that's truly what, what the metaverse is about. I mean, if you think of it as like a mall, there's several stores and the stores equal platforms or gaming platforms or right, any right. kind of platforms. And you have the choice to go anywhere you want. As I'm walking through the mall, which I would consider the connected tissues between the stores and or these platforms, you have the choice. You have a wallet, you have a, a handbag, whatever you're carrying around, you have your a backpack full of whatever you need and like, um, and you get to make choices um, uh, within those stores or those platforms. So to me, it's about the connected tissue. Are people assume? Is should we assume that um, what Mark Zuckerberg wants to create is a closed garden? Though I mean, it kind of seems that way. I think people feel it's that way. But in theory, what what they're developing it could be cross-platform, right? You could jump to Microsoft's platform, you could jump to various different virtual worlds and then just jump back into Meta's world. Or do you think that what they're really trying to do is own this space in a way that we're the big players and forget everybody else, thus kind of killing the whole decentralization uh, uh, web three in, in by almost by definition? Yeah, I, I, it's extremely interesting in the in the fact that um, I, I, I have slightly different views. Um, you know, right now, and, and 
large organizations, whether it's, you know, you can consider the government, Apple, Microsoft, all these, these organizations, um, they grew so big and they are kind of their own planets to themselves, right? To me, and if you look, and there's some interesting articles, actually, you and I were sharing this morning, uh, Matt, it, it, on the idea of um, the Web3 development community is poised to eclipse every other development community. Yeah. Um, we see it. We work with with engineers and developers uh, on protocols. We see it growing, and we see how the dynamics are different. It's very open source. It's very not. Oh, I shouldn't say open source, but it is a community where developers can jump into pro multiple projects and work for themselves and get paid in crypto. Although which open, they all maybe not really completely like. open source, but you know, people are they seem very willing to hand off a white paper and to show what they want to create to everyone, almost by necessity, which is a little different than development of the past when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So when I look at this and I'm, you know, saying, okay, you know, to your question, are, are they trying to control these environments? I think the nature of what they've been doing for many, many years is just that control, yeah. <laughs> control the environments, control the economics, control your information and, and, and ultimately, you know, sometimes controlling narratives, which we've seen recently, right? Uh, right or wrong. Um, but to me, you know, I think there is a mental shift, right? There's a chasm to jump, even in the developer community, right? And, it, and, that, and that chasm to jump is the idea that you don't really, in the future, you're not, as a developer, you're probably not going to work for one company, you may work on projects hmm. and, and yes, this is what, you know, the big companies know, right. And it is kind of a walled garden. You only get to see what they release and whatnot. Um, but I think larger companies are going to have to adopt this type of, uh, philosophy of just kind of an open environment. And ultimately, you know, that is the, the baseline for web three, right? And it, it, it's the idea that we, the users, we, the developers, we, the designers, whoever we are, ultimately the control is put back into our hands. And I think that's one thing that's missing from, from large organizations, or maybe they're thinking about it behind the scenes, but I will tell you, there is a huge groundswell and people will start to work way differently and make money um, doing what they love on their own time very differently than they do now. Well, whatever whatever they are developing, I, I certainly would commend Mark Zuckerberg and, and Meta for, for calling it. And I just wanna read this quote, because I think this is interesting, just to show the scale of what Mark Zuckerberg sees. This was in a, 20, a July 27th earnings call. He says, um, given some of the product and business constraints we face now, I feel even more strongly now that developing these platforms will unlock hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions over time. This is obviously a very expensive undertaking over the next several years, but as the metaverse becomes more important in every part of how we live, from our social platforms and entertainment to work and education and e-commerce, I'm confident we're going to be glad that we played an important role in building this. So this is not like a little side project for them. This is a this is a mantra, basically. 
Yeah, and there and there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, look, even at Arc, we're taking the bull by the horns. We're 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 putting a stake in the ground um, and working with really interesting companies and doing what we do best, which is, you know, you know, design, you know, branding, user experience, and, and platform builds um, as needed. But um, yeah, I mean, it is uh, it's a big stake to put in the ground. Um, getting back to the original th sentiment uh, of our discussion, you know, how much do you put into it, right? And there are lots of facets to it. Yeah, so you have to watch the developer community. You have to watch the investment community. You have to, you know, watch your burn, right? What's making you money? You can't, you know, you have to keep those lines of business open continuously, keep to keep fostering and, and nurturing those, those, uh, uh, business lines, but also, you know, you can take a, a giant leap, but as I was mentioning earlier, things, you know, things are still being built out. And, you know, if, if the past year hasn't taught us anything, it's that, you, you know, the industry ebbs and flows, it goes up and down. And I'm not just talking about the market. I'm talking about technology. I'm talking about protocol level technology. Things are changing. Lessons are learned. So you have to all take this all in consideration. And it's and it's happening not month by month, but, you know, day by day and sometimes quicker. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of facets to, to, to look at. So uh, and also one other point um, to the metaverse itself. You know, um, Personally, and, I'm, and this is not financial advice to Mark Zuckerberg or Meta in, in any in any sense. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> but I might, you know, I look at Microsoft, right? And you know, like them or not or whatever, you know, lots of respect there. They do a lot, a lot of great stuff. I use all their products. Um, th they for many years, I think they understood where things were going because they followed the game game community and game developer community. Not only did they follow them, they purchased companies like Activision, uh, Blizzard, um, major studios, they created Xbox Studios, and certainly Mahjong, which was a very expensive purchase, but, but brilliant. So they're collecting... They have uh, over 20 gaming companies, right? What they understood early on is that, you know, not don't build a monolith and have people come to it, absorb a lot of the big players in the, in the field uh, and, and create environments that potentially could interact with one another. So when we get back to what I was saying before, the connected tissue of the metaverse to me, Microsoft is poised to really take a interesting position in the metaverse. Well, they certainly and or, have. And or dominate. Well, I mean, they certainly have all the pieces, and they did it stealthily, right? So they have, they've been building this gaming empire. But then when you think Microsoft, you think productivity. When you think front-facing Microsoft beyond Xbox, you just you think Office, you think all the... Uh, major uh, OS updates and that you just, you don't think of cool 
But then they have these two components. So you're right. They almost have all the building blocks. All they need to do is connect them now. Um, right. And and again, being you know the the idea of being uh, sometimes being too early. I think you know either they had a crystal ball and they knew what was going on. <laughs> I think they were just smart about understanding the gaming community and the pieces will fall in line. I think quicker and more easily from Microsoft than other organizations who may like Apple, you know, they, they probably own studios as well. And, but it's mainly casual. Um, but Microsoft really put th their heads into the idea of, you know, buying and cultivating immersive uh, gaming environments. And then they have the HoloLens, which, you know, is maybe not there just yet. It's impressive, uh, really impressive. Uh, it's not there yet. And, you know, uh, back to some of our, our, our conversations over the this past week, you know, personally, again, with, with, with business decisions, I personally think that, you know, the, the purchase of Oculus was great. And I think and those are great that, headsets. They seem, and with project Cambria, they seem like they're only going to get a lot better coming up. Uh, absolutely. And, um, I, I, I like Oculus and I think they make great products and I think it was a smart move, but ultimately we're going to find the hardware technology becoming cheaper and lighter and smaller and more malleable to people's everyday lives. Um, and, you know, keyword cheaper, <laughs> uh, uh, because you do need to have adoption. And that's where a lot of innovation needs to happen. But how much of your eggs do you put in that basket from a business perspective, right? Um, you know, how much money, I mean, Oculus doesn't make really any money, I don't think, but I, I'm pretty sure they, they're, they're a loss leader here. Um, and it's more of like, how can we innovate in the hardware space as well? But I think you're going to see a lot of um, companies, small to large, start to produce very cheap headsets. And that may push certain players out of, uh, out of the arena, if you will. What do you think happens when Apple gets in? Because every time Apple gets in, the game changes, I mm. feel like. Yeah, I mean... Uh, personally, I would love to see Apple get into the crypto blockchain space in general. Why do I say that? Because, you know, they own the majority of mobile mobile users, them and Samsung. And, um, you know, with the advent of um, the Saga phone from Solana, you know, there's a little fire being lit underneath them and i think they're they're observing the uh industry a lot closer now um when they get involved and why i want them to get involved i want all everyone involved obviously but i think apple's an important player because their phones are in the majority of the world's hands yeah and that is the great opener it's you know if they do one thing well apple you know, you know, through industrial design and, and technology and software, they make their products like appliances. You know, it's a toaster. It's easy to use. Um, if they could do that and figure it out and get onboard people and start, you know, having people have wallets. An Apple crypto I think wallet. It, wow. 
Yeah. Y yeah. Um, and you can store your NFTs and data and information in there. Uh, if they adopt the, the whole idea of Web3, which would be amazing, I think the onboarding um, to this, this universe will be um, pretty smooth and profound. I wonder if the people at Apple, when they, when they see Web3, when they see like what we were talking about recently, the Solana saga, if they see this as a threat or if they're thinking, okay, we do need to adapt. Or maybe they're waiting, I guess, waiting to see if there's success on that end before making a change. Because obviously things like the App Store and keeping people within the Apple ecosystem is a very fundamental part of Apple. And Web3 kind of blows apart a lot of the idea that any one platform is where you stay. Well, I think this topic is really, really important. And it goes kind of deeper than, than this conversation, actually. <laughs> and maybe we should unpack it. But the walled garden that, that Apple has put together, you know, they don't play well with others. And, and that's for business reasons. And that's their choice, obviously. Um, it's worked well from a profit standpoint. <laughs> well, a, 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 exactly. But, but I think, you know, what we're seeing, especially with the developer communities and some of the applications that are being built now and platforms that are being built and, and operating systems, let's not leave that out, that are being built, built out now are predicated on a uh, democracy, uh, a very democratic, you know, uh, way of approaching their communities. And it, it is open and the people and the developer, the, the audiences and the developer communities now have a voice and they partake in, um, building these applications. Now, how does Apple perceive that? And if they continue with their wall garden within Web3, meaning you have to, you know, adhere to certain guidelines, which is fine, um, or you have to build with a specific SDK and they will only port over uh, specific applications and not others, that could put a bad taste in people's mouths, right? So, you know, in the early days of the App Store, you know, they had to speak to and cater to uh, and work with developers to create that environment. But now the whole developer community is, the mindset is changing. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle um, the, the idea, the philosophy of Web3. And just to your point, uh, and this could be a whole separate conversation, so maybe not for us to go too in-depth on it, but as we release power from corporations to the people, which I think most of us would agree is a good thing, are there any concerns we should bear in mind? Tyranny of the majority, making sure that, you know, when, we, when we're when we making those choices, that we're making the right choices. Do we trust ourselves enough? And and is it is it going to be a safe environment without those corporate regulated guardrails in place anymore? Because this is about to be a completely new internet, I think. I don't know if people understand the scale of it sometimes. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and it is, it's massive. It, it's a groundswell that some people just don't see. But as far as, um, you know, the people and, you know, having more control over things, uh, you know, I, you know, being involved in this, this space for so many years, um, I have come to the conclusion, you know, I started with like, hey, you know, it's all for the people and, you know, 
you know, freedom of choice. And, and certainly I stick by that and I stick by all the, the, um, the, the ideology of, of, of blockchain in general, right? It's supposed to pull people higher and give them more control. With that said, there always needs to be some kind of governance models put in place, whether that's, whether that's done at the, the, um, development level or within the communities, I do believe you need some kind of guardrails, um, and, uh, regulations put in place, especially within the finance uh, end of things or DeFi. Um, if you don't, then you get, um, that's when you'll get corruption and people will take advantage of systems. But from a community standpoint, I think that's yet to be def defined. And I think people, you know, with the advent of, of DAOs, which is probably a whole other podcast for us, the idea of these decentralized organizations, you know, that are, are, are autonomous, that's like mind blowing where, you know, you have a small group of people that maybe have started the organization, they have majority rule perhaps, but then the whole rest of the community takes stake, takes ownership or equity within that environment because they're participants and that gives them a voice. How much of a voice do you have? How, you know, how many guardrails do you put up or what regulations do you put into place or, or um, community rules? That's to be defined. And I think, you know, that's actually happening right now. Um, people are learning mm -hmm. lessons behind the scenes. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're learning lessons. So we'll see. It's a, the jury's out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is exciting to think how much uh, perhaps the people themselves could own the future development of companies in a way that we haven't before. That's not maybe as walled off in terms of only the top investors. But I think that kind of segues us perfectly into our next uh, story that we're going to look at, which is uh, continued investment in Web3. Now, right now we're allegedly in a crypto winter, as as they say. I don't know exactly the dynamics of the winter. Is it early winter, late winter? Is it just fall? But um, VC fund variant has raised $450 million, doubles down on Web3 uh, in this current environment. Um, and this is a story I found from uh, fortune magazine by Taylor Locke. And, uh, so just to kind of give you the recap founders, Jesse Walden and Lee Jin raised $450 million for a third fund that will focus on the quote user owned web. This will consist of a $150 million seed fund and a $300 million opportunity fund to double down on existing projects across web three, the blockchain based decentralized iteration of the internet. So. You know, they've uh, already invested in Uniswap, Mirror Foundation, Magic Eden, Polygon, others. And the quote that stands out to me is, uh, Web 2 was digital feudalism and Web 3 is digital capitalism. That's an interesting line. Web <laughs> I, I, I love that line. Um, I think it's a great quote. Um, and uh, we'll have to borrow that from time to time for sure. Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it goes to what we were talking about before is putting, putting the power back into it, truly creating a capital capitalism, uh, within web three that's giving control, financial control and choice, uh, to back to the people. Um, whereas 
you know, Web2 is feudalism, uh, you know, whether you subscribe or, or, or agree with that term, um, it is a controlled environment. You know, you're interacting with, you know, centralized organizations, whereas Web3 is decentralized, giving more control over your own destiny or digital destiny, if you will. And I think this is the one time where capitalism may get less of a bad rap with this generation. <laughs> it seems yeah, like, maybe. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's not a popular term lately, but I think in this context, you're right. We're, we're looking at it as freedom from a certain degree of control and uh, giving giving actual power to the individual. Um, here's something I keep wondering, and I think this is uh, the question everyone's looking at as we move toward true decentralization. Uh, what are the models going to be for making money for these VCs that are putting in these hundreds of millions of dollars? I think conventionally we, we think of internet companies as having data ownership, data over us as a major piece of the puzzle. Uh, if that's less the case, if privacy is becoming more, uh, more of something that people demand, and if ownership by the individual is becoming the environment, how are these VCs uh, going to make revenue? What are the different ways if you're looking at getting into this space? Well, I think from an investment standpoint, um, you know, VCs, because we're part of this world at ARC, um, River Capital Holdings is our parent company. We, we are, we're around this environment every single day. We understand, you know, why someone would want to be, you know, investing in a protocol or an app or, um, you know, a Solana, if you will, um, you know, something really big because they're, you know, these companies, you know, they're poised to be the next apples, the next Microsoft's, the next telcos, if you will. And they want to be first, first in line. Um, even small investments, you know, if things pan out, turn into mega investments like, ground-changing kind of uh, uh, investments. With that said, you have to, just like everything else, it's no different than investing in, well, it is slightly different, but it's like investing in a company, you know, a regular company uh, that you'd want to uh, make money on, uh, you know, Netflix or Tesla. Um, you know, you constantly are looking at, you know, the return potential returns the, the difference here is it's a much, you know, it's risk versus reward. It's higher risk with astronomical re reward potentials uh, in the future. So they're, they're betting on some, you know, some, <laughs> some big players, what, which we consider big players or unknown to uh, the general, you know, populace, if you will. Um, but they are big players and they're pumping lots of money into it. But there is, and, you know, to the winter, you know, the crypto winter, everything, we see it, everything um, is being thought through with more detail now from an investment standpoint. Um, whether you're helping to incubate a project or, you know, uh, inject venture capital into it, it, people are putting more thought into it. So for example, and this is a true case story with one of our clients, they, you know, would say, Rich, you know, 
we would do present a, an investor deck. Should, you know, they'd read through the white paper and we'd give them a, a 20 minute demo. And, you know, five minutes later, we've got $500,000 or a million or $2 million investment or a grant right. instantly. Now it takes a couple of weeks. So people are lifting the hood. They're, they're contemplating, they're doing more homework and digging, digging deeper to make sure that these platforms and applications are, are ready, are legit. Seems like and uh, have true value. Yeah, again, I think we've uh, talked about it. It's, it's exactly the same exuberance you saw in the '90s when everybody invested. You just said .dot com, and immediately you suddenly had tens of millions sitting in your pocket. And now people are saying, "Wait a second, what? What? Where are you moving? What's your actual protocol? What's your actual mission statement?" And maybe even maybe it's premature, but where's the where's the profit? Right? I mean, I think that's the question as well. Show me the money. <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, I think there's a Show lot me there. The money. Certainly, <laughs> kind of our third, I think, major update or major piece of news that everyone's talking about again is Ethereum. Right, we're getting closer and closer to the merge or the flippening. This is, these are big events potentially for Ethereum. Uh, it's been reported by Fortune again that uh, Ether Open options flipped Bitcoin options for the first time on a popular exchange Deribit. I think I'm saying that right. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and that, uh, quote, the Ethereum proof of work to proof of stake merge narrative is pulling the whole market to the upside right now, uh, according to Daniel Keller, co-founder of blockchain network Flux. I don't think, you know, on this show, we talk so much about price go up, price go down. But nevertheless, there is uh, something very significant happening if uh, the second largest cryptocurrency, Ethereum, is, is transitioning from uh, proof of work to proof of stake. What are, what are the implications of that? Because that's gonna change not only um, all the other coins, Solana, Avalanche, Polkadot, all the other ones, but it's gonna potentially change the entire crypto landscape dramatically. Yeah, it's it's definitely a fascinating topic. And, um, you know, the entry to play here um, for proof of stake, if we just start this way, is 32. 32 ETH, which roughly equates to currently fifty three thousand dollars. They had to take advantage of that eight hundred dollar dip. That's a lot of money for for people to <laughs> that start was your to chance. dip their toes into things. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Right. So, right. So, so it, it, the the barrier to play here now is is it's kind of high, and not many people have thirty two ETH. Um, some, many do, but a lot of them don't, the majority don't. And I think the conversation is starting to bubble up and, and form around the idea of, Hey, a decentralized platform, uh, could potentially be heading towards a centralized platform or centralized, um, platform and that that scares people because it messes with you know the whole idea of being open, transparent, and and being able to um, partake in a lot of these interesting programs. Now, you know, we we can look at um, we can look at it that way, um, but it's going to be harder for people to kind of play uh, average people to play in this this kind of 
playground, if you will, or the uh, proof of stake playground, if you will. Um, and it, and it holds a lot of people back from actually making decent money. It's the way people are making money these days on different networks. So it's, it's not, um, people just don't think it's going to be fair. Um, and that the majority of the earning potential and the community will go to a few rather than all. I mean, it seems like, yeah, even in, in proof of work, while there are obviously these large funded corporate, um, mining operations, you still had the opportunity to bootstrap and mine yourself. The individual could still find a way, you know, maybe get some friends together or some weird solar panel setup or do something. But it seems like if you really move to this model where it's just owning the actual token at this point is the only way to earn more. It seems it seems like you're you're creating an extreme problem for concentration of uh, of wealth. I don't know if that would not that we're doing price predictions here and no no financial advice obviously, but uh, I don't know if that even is helpful to Ethereum in general. But of course, I guess there's the underlying development, nevertheless. But yeah, and and Matt, it recently I think over the past week you've start started to see major miners actually selling off their well, they want to go back to ethereum classic right <laughs> i think i've right. been hearing so that etc's been been up yeah so there's there there's different different scenarios here because what's happening is as the price so it's easy to say hey jump in and you know get a few friends and start a, a mining pool I, i've done that i've built my own rigs and the reason why there's no there was no reason for me to tear down my rig it, the sole reason was because the when you put it in a spreadsheet and you do the math your your cost of energy depending on where you are i happen to be in new york expensive 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 doesn't match the earnings uh and the hash rates you're getting mm. on your mining rig so i was forced to tear it down um, you're going to start to see that with a lot of people and the ones, the, the miners who are going to do quite well in this environment, um, are the ones who have slightly off the grid type of, um, uh, you know, mining setups that can produce energy through sun or hydrodynamics or whatever it may be to produce really, really, really cheap energy that those are the winners right now if you're plugging you know mining rigs into a wall it's going to be pretty costly is a is a proof of stake ethereum uh, a big win environmentally well i think um you know with the advent of 2.0 and everything else like that um it, it is going to be quite more efficient um, and you know, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, you know, the blockchain and the carbon footprint and are NFTs bad, you know, are they <laughs> ruining the environment? Well, you know, it, 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 it's, it's no different than any other network. All of these centralized systems run on huge databases and warehouses of, 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 of hard drives and, and computers, um, it's it's very similar. It's just distributed, and it, it's people are still wrapping their heads around it. And I don't know how to put an actual price on it, but 
I don't think it's it, it's gonna it's doing more damage than than anything else in this world. Um, and and frankly, it the whole next gen uh, Ethereum platform will be hyper hyper fast. I mean, that's what they needed to be competitive. Um, they are already one of the biggest platforms uh, or exchange, you know, um, blockchain tools to build applications on. It's one of the most popular ones. Now it's just going to get better and better and better, faster and faster, more efficient. More efficiency equals, I would imagine, lower energy and lower energy equals, you know, lower carbon footprint, if you will. And even faster with additional layers built on the protocol, right? I mean, when you get absolutely, so you're yeah. talking in the the type of speed that I think people have dreamed about with uh, with blockchain is actually coming to fruition. And it's in, you know, it's interesting. I think is that remember that moment where NFTs uh, were horrific. No one wanted to touch it with a ten foot pole because of the environmental thing. But then just yesterday, you sent me that link of uh, Tiffany's. And crypto punks building these little crypto punk jewelry, like suddenly now it's cool again. It's so it's such a interest. It's really, um, the sentiment changes pretty rapidly in this space. Yeah, I had a in a way back oh, last year. I think I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who um, is pretty prolific in the art world and um, has smashed it, absolutely killed it in the NFT space. And um, he and other founders and other um, platform developers, NFT platform developers, have had these really interesting conversations with uh, between themselves and the community around, you know, is, is this really sustainable? Uh, are NFTs sustainable? And, he, you know, his argument was, you know, I can print a giant, you know, six foot by 10 foot piece with a printer with ink that uses electricity and plastic and oil and everything else that goes with it, mm. then package it up in cardboard and tape and foam, then put it on a truck that uses gas, oil, you know, petroleum and oil and spills stuff out into the world. So is that, you know, it's not apples to oranges, but you know, it, you have to look at it in a in a in a slightly different way, and people are like they are with physical goods getting attached to their digital assets, and that's okay if that's what you like. That's good. Some digital assets, like the Tiffany's, which I think is so cool and fun. I love it. Um, I love the like design too. That yeah, that little yeah, it's bit. beautiful. They did such a good job, Matt. Um, and you know, that opens up a whole marketing thing. And, you know, it's it's a really clever, what I would call uh, brand dating, if you will. You know, two brands getting together and doing something very unique. Um, even if it's attached to a physical good, it's, it's, still, <laughs> it's still not as disastrous as people think. Yeah, and I think that's true. Um... We forget, especially in this era where we order everything online, the amount of packaging, the amount of our carbon footprint, the amount it takes to receive everything. And like you're saying, if you're going to have art mailed to you or any kind of product, if you're substituting and starting to take digital products, that probably, I would assume, is a bit of a less less of an impact to the environment and everything else. 
Correct. Absolutely agree. So I think we always kind of do this as we reach the end of our episodes, and I always find this to be useful, I think, to listeners. Uh, if we were to do just a quick recap, Rich, let's say we're just saying like two or three major takeaways from everything we've covered here uh, with Facebook, with uh, new venture in the space, and uh, with Ethereum. What what would you say that should be? What should people walk away with if, the, if only two to three things? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as far as the metaverse goes, um, and this is not a message to Meta or Mark Zuckerberg or Apple or Microsoft or anything else, it's just observe what's going on below the surface, which I, I, I truly believe they are, obviously. The, the whole marketplace um, and the developer communities are rapidly changing. And I think that change will actually affect the way we, we, everyone works and what we uh, expect or, you know, our expectations of work will be different in 10 years. Understand that. Um, understand that um, the metaverse is not going to be, I, I believe that the metaverse will not be built by one mega company or several mega companies. Will they help propel that environment, the metaverse? Absolutely. They're the first in line. They're the ones dumping tons of resources and, and, and money into it. Um, but just understand that it's not one person. It is communities that will build this. And um, it's interesting. Uh, I, I would say keep your eye on Microsoft in that, in that world, for sure. Um, you know, when it comes to investing, I'll say it again, you know, um, whether you're a venture capital firm uh, or a personal investor, lift the hood understand what you're getting into and understand the the runway for those those particular products that you're interested in and or partnering with and then you know with the, the ethereum uh merge i think maybe we'll start to see as soon as it happens because a lot everyone wants to see it happen obviously the proof of stake uh end of things I think, you know, it's a digital environment. Um, and I think this ultimately is up to Vitalik and his team to say, all right, maybe 32 ETH is maybe not a fair playing ground. Maybe we dip it a little bit. I think maybe we need to, that's just getting started and it's not even released yet. Um, but I think that'll take time to, to kind of shake out and see how that proof of stake works. I guess that's the thing, the communal component. The the rules can change. It doesn't have to be set in stone, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a digital environment, and we can, you know, play with the rules. Um, but again, you know, I think the community will have a very loud, and they are, have a very loud voice in this, in this, uh, in this particular item. Well, everybody, uh, I think that's a good note for us to wrap up on. Uh, You've been listening to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Matt Sky, and this is Rich Pasqua as well. Thank you, everyone. Great conversation. And uh, yeah, of course, everyone uh, continue the conversation on our Discord. Uh, we'll provide links to that. And uh, you can always find us also on ArcTAI, 
www.thinkingdeeply.com. Have a great rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing.